We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And away we go, episode 330 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Tuesday, June 7th, 2022, and we're still waiting. Yeah, we're still waiting and anticipating uh, on what the answers were from Dan Snyder and Roger Goodell to Congress about appearing at this hearing on June 22nd. Uh, Monday was supposed to be the day by which Commander's co-owner and co-CEO Dan Snyder and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell responded to Congress's request that they appear at this congressional hearing on the Commander's workplace misconduct scandal on June 22nd. Monday was a deadline, and perhaps Dan and Roger did respond by Monday, but uh, there was zero news. There was silence on Monday regarding what those responses were. Uh, Is it possible (laughs) that Dan and Roger just ignored the Monday deadline? Is it possible that Dan and Roger didn't even dignify Congress with a timely response? That would be something. Uh, Well, we did have a good bit of Commander's developments on Monday, and I'll be discussing them on this Tuesday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB came out with his Monday morning quarterback column on Uh, well, Monday morning, and the featured item in the column was a lengthy piece on Commander's quarterback Carson Wentz. Headline, Carson Wentz is making the most of what may be his last shot, an inside look at how the QB is fitting in with his third team in three years. And we in the piece have new details on what has been going on with Wentz and the Commanders, and they are good details. Uh, We in the piece have some strong quotes from Ron Rivera on Carson Wentz. We in the piece have evidence that the commanders may well be getting a new and improved, more mature, dare I say, awakened Carson Wentz. Uh, There's a lot to this piece. I'll take you through the key items and give you my thoughts on them coming up in just a bit. Next segment, I'll discuss an announcement by the commanders on Monday morning. The announcement was of game themes for the 2022 season. And among those themes are the debut of the team's revamped fight song and the unveiling of a new mascot. Uh, We now have dates for the reveals of the revamped fight song and the new mascot, although one is coming out much sooner than the other. Uh, Also on the show, welcome on Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. The Wizards have been conducting pre-draft workouts in preparation for the 2022 NBA draft, which will take place on June 23rd in Brooklyn. What are the Wizards thinking with their number 10 overall pick? And what about this Wizards offseason overall? Them giving Bradley Beal a Supermax contract extension worth around $250 million. Seems like it's going to happen. Where are we with the Wizards in terms of team building? Uh, Where is this all going? Are we getting any closer to the Wizards doing what the franchise has not done since 19-freaking-79, getting past the second round of the NBA playoffs? Chase Hughes is awesome at Talking Wizards. He'll join us later in the show. 
Well, the dream is over for Maryland baseball. The Terrapins on Monday night lost to UConn 11-8 in the championship game of the College Park Regional in the NCAA tournament. The 15-seeded Terps finished with their best record in a season in the 131 years of the program, going 48-14. Maryland won the Big Ten championship, what was Maryland's first conference title in baseball in more than a half century. And the Terps hosted an NCAA regional for the first time in school history, And the Terps won two elimination games on Sunday to advance to this game on Monday night. Uh, What was a rematch with UConn off Maryland having defeated UConn 7-6 in 11 innings on Sunday night. And the Terps nearly pulled off a big-time comeback on Monday night. The Terps in this game on Monday night were down 9-1 after four innings, but cut the deficit to two at 10-8 in the eighth inning. Uh, A tremendous season by the Terps and a tremendous turnaround for their baseball program. I used to call Maryland baseball games for the student radio station, WMUC. Trust me, the team back then was far uh, from what the team is now. While we're talking baseball, so both the Nationals and the Orioles did not play on Monday, but we on Monday did have a report in the Washington Post on how the Masson dispute plays into the learners, potentially slash likely selling the Nats. How about this nugget In that report, quote, according to Kagan, the media research division of S&P Global Market Intelligence, Masson's subscriptions have fallen from 5.6 million in 2018 to 3.6 million this year. And anyone who has watched Masson in recent years has noticed the network has responded by cutting costs. There is no analyst on pregame and postgame shows for the Nationals, and the set beyond center field that hosted that coverage was dismantled, end quote. Uh, I don't think that anybody is shocked by any of what I just read. I mean, if you watch Masson, you know that is a low-budget operation. But how about the numbers in terms of Masson subscriptions? Again, $5.6 million in 2018, down to $3.6 million this year. A decline of 2 million subscriptions, despite the Nats, of course, having won the World Series in 2019. And of course, this is all primarily a function of cord cutting. But boy, uh, that really crystallizes what is happening uh, with Masson, a drop of 2 million subscribers over just the last few years. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Mike on the Commander's next stadium, uh, wherever it is and whenever it happens, uh, only having a maximum capacity of 55,000. Uh, so reported Commander's insider Michael Phillips of Richmond.com last Tuesday. Writes Mike, I can't believe how many people are okay with a 55,000 capacity stadium. 21 out of 32 NFL teams each average over 65,000 fans per home game. 29 NFL teams each average over 60,000 fans per home game. The median is about 67,000 fans. If the Commanders were averaging 67,000 fans, would the Commanders build a 55,000 capacity stadium? The team basically is saying it is building a low-budget Loserville stadium, and people applaud? (laughs) Uh, Well, that is one spin that you can put on this. Uh, Now, what's surprising to me about the 55,000 thing is that that seemingly would remove the Commander's new stadium from being a site to host a mega non-Commander's event, like a Super Bowl or a Final Four or a WrestleMania. And I always thought, and a lot of people always thought, that one of the goals of the new stadium was for it to host these events. Heck, the reason that the new stadium is going to have some kind of a roof is so that the stadium can host non commander's events. And yes, it would be at least somewhat of an admission of defeat for the new stadium to only have a capacity of 55,000. That would at least in part seem to be the team admitting, yeah, we don't trust ourselves to be able to consistently sell more than 55,000 tickets per game. And if the team ever becomes consistently good again, I don't see why it couldn't consistently sell more than 55,000 tickets per game. However, there would be benefits to the new stadium only having a capacity 
of $55,000. A smaller can be better, more intimate can be better, and a smaller capacity makes tickets more scarce and thus more special, and that can be good for business. And a 55000 capacity stadium still can be plenty loud. Now, 55,000 isn't some magic number. I mean, if the commanders made the capacity for the new stadium 60,000 or even 65,000, fine. I think that the team is underselling itself a bit in only aiming for 55,000. But the general idea is this, bigger isn't necessarily better for a football stadium. Tweet from Dino, uh, the head coach of our commander's Ron Rivera writes, Dino, what are your thoughts on Ron always trying to replicate the past? It's a new NFL now compared to his Carolina days, but he's always mentioning trying to get back to 2017. Carson Wentz, a three running back committee, etc. Uh, yes, I hear you, Dino. Uh, so it really does depend on what you're talking about. I mean, the whole thing about 2017 Carson Wentz, I don't think that 2017 Carson Wentz is applicable anymore. And I'm going to get into this coming up a little later in the show. 2017 was five years ago, okay? Uh, Five years is a long time in the NFL. And specific to Wentz, his 2017 season was before he, in December 2017, suffered a torn left ACL. And before he, in December 2018, missed the Eagles' final three regular season games due to a back injury. He has been a different player since his 2017 season, although he still has had good seasons since his 2017 season. Like, to me, the realistic goal for the commanders with Wentz is for him to play as he did in his 2019 and 2021 seasons. Uh, The running back by committee thing, I mean, that is a modern way of doing running back in the NFL, so I have no problem with that, that Ron did running back by committee during his time as Carolina Panthers head coach. Okay, fine. I mean, a lot of teams do running back by committee. Uh, Our team, the Redskins slash Washington football team has done running back by committee for the most part for years now. To me, the biggest worry with Ron constantly going back to his time as Panthers head coach is the hires, you know, the Carolina Mafia, the Commanders, all of these staff members, assistant coaches and players who Ron has brought to Washington. Are all of these people truly good at what they do? Or have all of these people been brought to Washington more so because Ron is familiar with them and trusts them and feels comfortable with them? Now, in some cases, the hires look great. You know, Ron bringing over John Matsko to be Washington's offensive line coach has worked out in spectacular fashion. Washington's offensive line has been terrific in each of the last two seasons. Matsko has had a lot to do with that. However, you know, what about something like having Marty Herney? as a major figure in the front office. Uh, Herney is the commander's executive vice president of football slash player personnel. He had a very mixed track record as Panthers general manager. He did some good things. He did some not so good things. To whatever extent Herney is impacting commander's player personnel moves, has he been a good hire or should the commanders have gone with someone younger and more forward thinking in their front office. And yes, I still do wonder about Ron uh, and Kyle Smith having parted ways. I was a fan of Kyle Smith. I think that the jury is out on whether Ron made the right call in parting with Kyle Smith and going with Marty Herney as executive vice president of football slash player personnel and Martin Mayhew as general manager. Uh, Time will tell. It's still uh, too early to tell. Well, if you have been wrong, it's never too early to contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. The law firm of Paulson and Nace is always there for you. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions, and Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the DC Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the DC Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. We have a saying on this podcast. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and see what Paulson and Nace 
has to say about your situation. You can schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. All right, before we get to the lengthy piece that came out on Monday morning on Commander's quarterback Carson Wentz, written by NFL insider Albert Breer of the MMQB, how about the announcement by our Commanders on Monday morning? The team on Monday morning announced game themes for the 2022 season, uh, what the team referred to as its, quote, inaugural season, end quote. Uh, The 2022 season actually will be the 90th anniversary season of the franchise, which started as the Boston Braves in 1932. Now, reads the announcement from the commanders on Monday morning in part, quote, to celebrate the franchise's 90th anniversary and as a continuation of the team's command legacy campaign, the team will host a series of activations throughout the season, celebrating the Washington Legends, team alumni, who have shaped team history. In-game tributes will include commemorations of all five championship-winning teams. Uh, Hopefully the team gets those years right. Uh, (laughs) The reveal of the permanent installation at FedEx Field for Sean Taylor and a celebration of the Hogs' offensive line. Additionally, each game will feature a Washington Legend as the honorary captain End quote. Uh, So clearly the commanders are trying to maintain ties to the past, and I think that that's a good idea. But there are, to me, three notable game themes for the commanders this coming season. The first is for the commanders' first preseason game, uh, which will be the team's lone home preseason game this year. Home to the Carolina Panthers on Saturday afternoon, August 13th at 1. Yes, the Commanders will face the actual Panthers this preseason. Uh, This game is going to be like the meme in which the two versions of Spider-Man are pointing at each other, okay? Uh, Anyway, this game will feature the first game day performance by the Commanders marching band, as the team remember is bringing back the marching band. And this game will feature the, quote, debut of the team's revamped fight song, end quote. Uh, A revamped fight song. We have been hearing about that, and we have discussed that on this podcast. Some of you have submitted potential songs, uh, tongue firmly planted in cheek, Uh, but still, some of you have submitted songs. Uh, But the revamped fight song will be revealed on August 13th. Now, it's interesting that the commanders refer to the fight song as a revamped fight song as opposed to a new fight song. Revamped obviously implies altering the previous fight song, Hail to the Redskins, as opposed to coming up with an entirely new fight song. The commanders on May 5th announced that the marching band was coming back and announced that, quote, the team plans to bring back a revamped arrangement of the team's original fight song, which was first introduced in 1938, end quote. So there was that word again, revamped. Uh, Now, I really liked Hail to the Redskins. I'm guessing that a lot of you listening to this really liked Hail to the Redskins. The potential problem with making the new fight song a revamped version of Hail to the Redskins, if you want to call this a problem, is that if the music remains similar to that of Hail to the Redskins, then plenty of people will just say Hail to the Redskins instead of Hail to the Commanders or whatever the refrain is going to be. Like, I promise you that this will be a thing. And personally, I don't think that that would be the end of the world, but If you're trying to launch and market and sell a new name, having people sing the song with the old name isn't ideal. So we'll have to see what the revamped fight song ends up being. Uh, The second notable themed game for the Commanders in their 2022 season is against the Atlanta Falcons in Week 12. Uh, This game will feature the, quote, debut of a permanent installation at FedEx Field for Sean Taylor to be unveiled on the 15th anniversary of of Sean's passing 
end quote. Uh, this game will take place on November 27th, 2022. Sean died on November 27th, 2007. Uh, of course, this permanent installation, whatever it is, uh, would not be happening had we not had the complete debacle, the complete embarrassment uh, that was the rushed and low-budget and poorly executed retirement of Sean's number 21 last season, uh, last October 17th, for what ended up being a 31-13 loss to the Kansas City Chiefs at FedEx Field. Uh, That day was a total mess in so many ways, but what's done is done. Just please, let's not have another photo op for Sean's family in front of portable toilets (laughs) outside of FedEx Field. I still can't believe that that happened. And yes, that did happen, in case you forgot or didn't know. There was a photo op for Sean Taylor's family in front of portable toilets outside of FedEx Field. This happened this past October 17th. And then the third notable themed game for the Commanders in their 2022 season is against the Cleveland Browns in Week 17, January 1st, New Year's Day. Uh, The game will feature, quote, recognition of the Hogs' offensive line, end quote. So that'll be cool. A tribute to the greatest unit in the history of the franchise, the Hogs. And this game will feature the unveiling of a new mascot, Uh, Now, wait a second, right? Why are the commanders waiting until week 17 to unveil their new mascot? Well, this apparently is going to be a thing, a thang this coming season. Uh, Said the commanders in their announcement on Monday morning, quote, details on the season-long fan engagement program to help select the mascot will be announced later this summer, end quote. So the team is going to make the selection of a mascot a thing, As in, you the fans, for the fans, as Vinny Serrato once said, get to help out in the selection process. For the fans. Yes, Vinny, for the fans. Thank you. Not for the fans, for the fans. Okay, that's how you say it, for the fans. Uh, Now, will fan input in the selection of a mascot uh, be like the fan input into the selection of the new team name? Uh, That is to say, not truly meaningful. At least uh, that is the suspicion. Or will fan input truly help to determine the new mascot? Who knows? But this is what the commander said. For the fans. Yes, Vinny, for the fans. Uh, You know, it's hard not to notice, right, that the new mascot will be unveiled on the same day that the commanders honor the Hogs. Uh, There have been a lot of potential commanders, Hogs-themed mascots out there that people have drawn up. And I think that some of them look pretty good. You know, I was never in love with Hogs or Red Hogs as the new team name, but a Hog-themed mascot, like a Hog dressed up as a commander, I think that that could work if done well. Uh, And of course, if (laughs) if you hate the name Commanders, then none of this can go well. So it's up to you. Uh, Up next, I'll go through an expansive piece on Carson Wentz by Albert Breer, including multiple new anecdotes and perhaps further evidence that the commanders are getting, wait for it, an awakened Carson Wentz. I'll get to all of this and more straight ahead. Well, as we all know, uh, buying food isn't nearly as fun as eating food. However, HelloFresh makes buying food easy and affordable and makes eating food even more enjoyable. HelloFresh is great. With HelloFresh, you get farm-fresh, pre-portioned ingredients and seasonal recipes delivered right to your home and at an affordable price. And not only do the ingredients come pre-portioned so that you're not overbuying or wasting food, but it's easier than ever to get filling meals on your kitchen table quickly with options like family-friendly and quick and easy recipes. Stop wasting your time worrying about when you're going to buy food and what you're going to buy and what you should make and what the kids will eat and how much the food will cost with inflation. And try HelloFresh. We've tried HelloFresh, and we love it. Uh, We've had a number of HelloFresh meals. The sweet chili pork and cabbage stir-fry, the Monterey Jack unfried chicken, the pub-style shepherd's pie, the saucy pork burrito bowls, the Italian chicken, the Southwest beef with pasta. I could go on and on. The meals are fun, creative, healthy, and delicious. Heck, even my four-year-old son eats HelloFresh. Usually, if it's not a peanut butter sandwich, he's not interested. But he likes HelloFresh, and I think that you will too. Also, HelloFresh has a great app, and you with the app, 
can pick your favorite meals from 50 different weekly options. You can customize meals. You can skip weeks when needed. You can change your delivery date. So here's what you do. Go to HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16 and use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three gifts. Again, that's HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. One more time, HelloFresh.com slash Galdi16. Use the code Galdi16 for up to 16 free meals and three free gifts. HelloFresh, America's number one meal kit. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, so we on Monday morning had the announcement from the commanders of game themes for the 2022 season, and we on Monday morning had a lengthy piece on Carson Wentz in the Monday morning quarterback column of NFL insider Albert Breer. Headline, Carson Wentz is making the most of what may be his last shot. An inside look at how the QB is fitting in with his third team in three years. So I want to spend some time on what is in this piece and what we should take away from this piece. Uh, First of all, what has become crystal clear is that Ron Rivera has a really good relationship with Albert Breer and thus gives stuff to Albert Breer. Uh, One of the more telling reports on Washington this offseason was Breer in a piece that was published on January 31st, (laughs) basically writing a press release for Washington, because the piece clearly was based on things that Breer had been told by Ron Rivera. Uh, The piece was about Washington being all in on getting a franchise quarterback this offseason, and the piece included verbatim phrases that we had heard slash would hear Ron Hughes wrote Breer, quote, the Washington football team is preparing to take a big swing at a quarterback this offseason per team sources with big names like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson and Deshaun Watson potentially out there. Washington feels like it has plenty to pitch such a veteran. While Brandon Sheriff's free agency looms, it'll be open-minded approaching a new contract, WFT had the NFL's sixth-ranked offensive line per PFF last year, and its depth was proven through significant absences that led to the coaches going to their fourth center, fourth tackle, and fourth and fifth guards. Washington also has a 1,000-yard receiver, Terry McLaurin, a 1,000-yard rusher, Antonio Gibson, and other weapons on the offensive side of the ball, like Logan Thomas and Curtis Samuel, returning from injury. And the defense has a good foundation in its still young defensive line, particularly with Chase Young coming back from ACL surgery. Then there's the intangible factors. Getting to live in the D.C. area and being on the front end of a team rebrand that'll be unveiled Wednesday. Uh, How did that go? (laughs) And the fact that the cap flexibility would give a quarterback a shot to bring a piece or two with him. So if you put all that together, there's reason to pay attention to Washington as the football team, again, throws its head in the ring End quote. I mean, Washington's media relations department could not have written that any better. Most, if not all of that, came from Ron Rivera 
to Albert Breer. And now we have this piece that came out on Monday morning. And in this piece, Ron gave Breer a lot of stuff. What first stands out about the piece is the depiction of Carson Wentz as a good teammate. Uh, This, of course, has been a concern, maybe the biggest concern, the biggest red flag with Carson Wentz, the various reports and rumors about him having been a bad teammate during his time with the Philadelphia Eagles and Indianapolis Colts. Uh, Eagles insider Jeff McLean of the Philadelphia Inquirer this past March 9th came out with a piece that included the following about Carson Wentz in the Eagles' 2017 Super Bowl championship season, uh, during which Wentz suffered a torn left ACL in December 2017 and then saw Nick Foles lead the Eagles to their first ever Super Bowl title. Quote, sometime before the championship game, Wentz voiced his displeasure with the Eagles' success to a group of other injured players, sources with direct knowledge of the incident said, one of the players immediately confronted him, and the two eventually had to be separated. Wentz certainly had his supporters, or those that sympathized with the obstacles he faced in Philly. If he was more successful, others would have likely been willing to overlook some of his personality quirks. But the Eagles' pre-draft evaluation didn't place enough emphasis on questionable character traits or that he lacked the mental strength to accept hard coaching and personnel decisions that directly affected him End quote. So that report from Jeff McLean came out this past March 9th. Also this past March 9th, Colts insider Zach Kiefer of The Athletic came out with a piece in which he wrote the following about why the Colts were trading Carson Wentz. Quote, as for the Colts, the issues with Wentz stretch back to before the season began, one source said. And over the course of the year, some grew frustrated at what they deemed a lack of leadership, a resistance to hard coaching, and a reckless style of play which had a role in several close losses. But this wasn't just a football move. Wentz's play, inconsistent as it was to close the year, wasn't the deciding factor. Colts brass simply didn't trust him to be the franchise quarterback moving forward, and they weren't willing to bring him back in 2022 and hope for better, end quote. All right, so with all of that as a backdrop, listen to how Albert Breer's piece on Carson Wentz that came out on Monday morning begins. Quote, what stuck out about this particular moment on May 16th to Ron Rivera is that it really wasn't meant to stick out at all. It happened organically and in coming that way, gave the commander's coach another level of encouragement that his team did the right thing in trading for Carson Wentz back in March. The setting was a country club in Northern Virginia near the Potomac River, and the coaches had just knocked off the players after the players challenged them to go out earlier in the offseason. Four foursomes settled in on the golf course that afternoon, and Wentz was in the clubhouse afterward chopping it up with teammates Taylor Heineke, Cole Holcomb, Kendall Fuller, Jonathan Allen, Joey Sly, Tress Way, and, <laughs> and Ryan Anderson. Uh, yeah, uh, Breer mentions Ryan Anderson as one of the commander's players. I'm not sure what that's about. Ryan Anderson hasn't played for Washington since the 2020 season. Anyway, continues Breer with this quote uh, from Ron Rivera on Carson Wentz. And you watched him, and he integrated himself with everybody so easily. It was really cool to see, said Rivera, who then added, it sure looked natural to me. And it's funny because I've heard a lot of things about what was said in Philadelphia. I heard a lot of things that were said in Indianapolis. For the record, Wentz and Heineke won their match that Monday, beating offensive coordinator Scott Turner and quarterbacks coach Ken Zampezi. But the bigger win for Wentz really took place on the 19th hole. While Rivera wouldn't dive into exactly what he was referencing from Wentz's experience with the Eagles and Colts, it doesn't take too much digging to figure it out. Questions about how he relates with teammates have dogged him since his play first went the wrong way toward the end of his time in Philly. It was never to be clear that Wentz was a bad guy. More so, it was how and really whether he was connecting with the guys like a quarterback should. What the commander's coach would say is why, when Washington pulled the trigger back on March 9th, He punched the gas where so many others were tapping the brakes on Wentz's capacity to become again what he was through his first four or so NFL seasons. Specifically, Rivera points to comments he saw after the trade from Indy's Alphas, T.Y. Hilton, Darius Leonard, and Jonathan Taylor on who the QB was as a player and as a person. Those quotes came out, Rivera said, and you were like, okay, 
there's more to the story. Rivera feels like he knows the rest now, or more of it, at least. Which is why, come this fall, he's expecting more out of Wentz than most do. End quote. So the Ron Rivera story about Carson Wentz chopping it up with teammates uh, was nice and fine and dandy and hopefully meaningful. I mean, we have no way of knowing whether that story is meaningful or not, but that's a nice story. And nobody has ever said that Carson Wentz is a bad guy. Uh, As a guy who played with Carson Wentz for two seasons with the Eagles, Chris Long said on this podcast, episode 297 of the Al Galdi podcast, uh, Chris did not see the axe murder, (laughs) as he put it, that people keep talking about in regards to Wentz. Uh, You got to listen to that conversation if you've never heard it. Again, Chris Long on episode 297 of this podcast. So nobody has ever said that Carson Wentz is a terrible person. What has been said, or at least intimated, is that he doesn't always connect with everyone as a quarterback should. Now, look, personally, as Jeff George said years ago during his time as Redskins quarterback, I do think that this leadership stuff can be way overrated. If you're playing well as a quarterback, nobody really cares about your leadership and how well you are connecting with your teammates. Like, have you ever noticed that we only ever hear about a quarterback not being a good leader when that quarterback is struggling? Nobody talked about Robert Griffin III not being a very good leader in 2012 when he had one of the greatest rookie seasons in NFL history, but a whole lot of people started talking about him not being a good leader in 2013 and 2014 when he was struggling. Also, you know, this idea of leadership, like what exactly is it, you know? The concept of leadership is a very abstract, subjective, impossible to quantify concept. Leadership means different things to different people. So I don't get that caught up in the Carson Wentz leadership stuff, but it is impossible to ignore that there were leadership questions with Wentz during his time with both the Eagles and the Colts. I mean, that report from Jeff McLean that Wentz during the 2017 season, quote, sometime before the championship game, Wentz voiced his displeasure with the Eagles' success to a group of other injured players. Sources with direct knowledge of the incident said one of the players immediately confronted him and the two eventually had to be separated, end quote. I mean, that's a troubling story, man, okay? Unless that story is false, unless that story is fake news, okay? Unless that story is Russian disinformation, That's a troubling story. However, that story also is from the 2017 season. Uh, Sometime before the NFC Championship game for the 2017 season is January 2018. That's four and a half years ago now. That's a long time ago. Carson Wentz right now is just 29. You know that, right? He's not even 30 yet. Wentz in January 2018 was just 25. Uh, He was born on December 30th, 1992. Who among us wasn't still at least a little immature at 25, or at least still didn't have some growing up to do at 25? I know I did, you know? So the hope, obviously, is that Carson Wentz today is different than he was in 2017 and 2018, you know? The hope, obviously, is that Carson Wentz today is a different, more mature person than he was during his time with the Eagles and even the Colts. But there's no doubt that Ron Rivera giving this story to his guy, Albert Breer, is Ron trying to sell the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz. Like, there's a definite strategy behind Ron putting that story out there as Ron did. Uh, We also had more of Ron Rivera trying to sell the commanders having traded for Carson Wentz in this piece by Albert Breer. How about this from Ron later in the piece? This is Ron on Carson Wentz. Quote, he's brilliantly smart. He came in, got in his book, and got to work. He's just one of those guys that works at it. And in some respects, it was similar to when I was in San Diego and I saw the way Philip Rivers was how smart Philip was, and this guy is smart. Watching Carson, it's like, this guy's got it. And he really did remind me of Philip to a degree. It was really pleasing to see, end quote. Uh, Another notable aspect of this Albert Breer piece on Carson Wentz is Wentz's faith. Uh, Carson Wentz, as you likely know, is very religious, and he makes no secret about this. Uh, Writes Breer, quote, few in the NFL have as much on the line as Wentz does 
over the next few months. Over the last 24 months, he's gone from inextricable face of the franchise in Philly to reclamation project in Indy to now his own personal last chance saloon in Northern Virginia. How he's approaching that is much different than you might expect. So many quarterbacks and players who have been in Wentz's spot before find motivation in slights and vow to play with the proverbial chip on their shoulder. And for some, that really works with the doubt of others fueling resurgent play. Wentz, for his part, won't knock others for that, and he certainly felt it from those who gave up on him. It's just not him to use that the way some other players would. I don't think he's scarred as much Did it hurt? I'm sure it did, Rivera said. But I also think because he's a young man of faith that he looks at it as part of a plan. There's for sure a human side. The I want to prove people wrong, Wentz said. But it's what Coach said. Being a man of God, a man of faith, this is a blessing. Playing this game is a blessing. It might not have gone the last couple of years the way I saw it in my head, but to know that I'm still healthy, I'm still playing the game I love and have an incredible family that supports me and I come home and my wife and daughters, they don't care if I threw five touchdowns or five picks, it doesn't matter to them, is a blessing. Just knowing there's a purpose and a plan in place and for me to just, because of my faith, go out and play freely and have fun and enjoy it for as long as I can. The rest, he then said, should take care of itself. And Wentz's hope is by letting relationships happen in the aforementioned organic way. Any questions others have lingering from whispers out of Indian Philly will take care of themselves too. End quote. Uh, You know, religion is a lot like what I talked about just a few minutes ago, leadership. Uh, Religion means different things to different people. Uh, Some people aren't religious at all and have no interest in being religious, and that's totally fine. Other people find great purpose and great meaning in religion, and that's totally fine. I don't think that there's anything wrong with being religious. I think that if your religion, whatever it is, brings you peace and wisdom and direction, then more power to you. But think about this. So Carson Wentz's religion is Christianity, which, like other religions, teaches you to be humble. So in accordance with that, uh, Wentz, to whatever extent he has lacked in leadership and has lacked in being a good teammate and has lacked in being coachable, uh, should recognize those deficiencies. In other words, him being better in those areas doesn't just coincide with wanting to be a better quarterback and wanting to be good for our commanders. Him being better in those areas also coincides with him wanting to be a good Christian. So there you go. What's good for our commanders this coming season also is good in the eyes of God. (laughs) Think about that. We have God on our side for this coming season. We have the big G in the sky on our side for this coming season. How could anything go wrong? We got that guy on our side this coming season. Uh, Now, speaking of religion, another religious quarterback for the team, now known as the Commanders years ago, was Mark Brunel. Uh, The Redskins in March 2004 officially acquired Mark Brunel via trade with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Skins gave up a third-round pick in the 2004 NFL Draft. Uh, The Skins head coach and team president at the time was, yes, Joe Gibbs, who we know uh, is religious himself. And Joe Gibbs was, yes, the Skins head coach and team president in what was, yes, a coach-centric approach, Uh, just like the one that the commanders currently have with Ron Rivera. We know that Joe influenced Ron's process this offseason for acquiring a franchise quarterback. Albert Breer in this piece on Carson Wentz wrote about this process. Quote, there were a few reasons Washington was intrigued by Wentz when a few others were back in January and February. It started with a visit Rivera paid DC icon Joe Gibbs in Charlotte in late January, with Gibbs telling Rivera the story of how he compiled a list of quarterbacks he'd want upon returning to the NFL in 2004, and whether they were considered available or not, just started calling their teams to inquire about potential trades. Such a strategy landed Mark Brunell for Gibbs that year and Wentz for Rivera this year. And what the commander saw in Wentz was some of the obvious, 
how his ability to push the ball downfield could unlock the potential of Washington's speedy group of receivers, and some things a little less obvious, how his downturn last year coincided with the Colts becoming more run-reliant on early downs behind Taylor, which seemed to knock Wentz off rhythm a little bit and should be easy to correct. End quote. Uh, You know, it's tricky with Joe Gibbs. On the one hand, he is the greatest head coach in the history of the franchise now known as the Commanders. Heck, uh, he's probably the single most important person in the history of the franchise now known as the Commanders. But on the other hand, Joe Gibbs now is 81 and he hasn't coached in the NFL since the 2007 season. 2007 was 15 years ago. I mean, all due respect to the great Joe Gibbs, but should he in 2022 be having a major influence on commander's football operations? Now, that said, I don't think that there's anything wrong with Ron Rivera having sought, you know, counsel, having sought advice from the wise sage who is the great Joe Gibbs. I just hope that Ron understood that, hey, Coach Joe, as great as he was as Redskins head coach, hasn't coached in the NFL since the 2007 season. That is a long time ago, especially by NFL standards. And by the way, (laughs) you know, like, oh, by the way, the trade for Mark Brunel ended up being not so great for the Redskins. Uh, Brunel was with the Redskins for three seasons, 2004 through 2006. Now, he did have a decent 2005 season, and the Skins in the 2005 regular season did go 10-6 and six and did then win a playoff game. What remains? The franchise's last postseason victory, a 17-10 win at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in a wildcard game in January 2006. But Mark Brunel in that game, 7 of 15 for just 41 yards, no touchdowns, and an interception. The Skins won that game despite totaling a mere 120 total net yards of offense. And Brunel was bad in the 2004 season, and Brunel was bad in the 2006 season. So yeah, the Skins trade for Mark Brunel that was a function of this process that Ron Rivera tried to emulate this offseason did not work out so well, okay? Now, Brunel was older than Carson Wentz is now. The Skins traded for Brunel as he was entering his age 34 season. The Commanders have traded for Wentz as he is entering his age 30 season. So I'm not trying to draw a bunch of parallels between Brunel and Wentz. I'm just pointing out that this process that Albert Breer writes about, um, yeah, the process resulted in an acquisition that did not work out so well uh, for the Redskins, okay? Mark Brunel was not some smashing success as Skins quarterback. Uh, We end this piece by Albert Breer on Carson Wentz had the reveal that the Wentzes went over to the Snyder's home for dinner. That's nice. Uh, our commander's co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder, Dan and Tanya, Tanya and Dan, uh, they hosted Carson Wentz and his family for dinner. This off the Wentz's having spent the day with Ron Rivera and his wife. Quote, soon after the trade, he and his wife, Stephanie, invited Wentz and his wife, Madison, out to spend a day at their place and capped it with dinner at owner Dan Snyder's house. The Wentz's brought their daughters. So over the course of a few hours, the coach got to see his new quarterback, interact with first his kids and then his new boss. He was just so natural and comfortable, Rivera said. I liked who he was, end quote. And then the piece ended with the following, starting with this from Ron Rivera. Quote, the guy was 11-3 in 2017 and blows his knee out trying to score a touchdown for his team, the coach continued. Dude was on course to be the league MVP. He had a good solid year last year until the last two games when he got COVID. We all want to forget the good things and point to this negativity, and you got to go, what the hell? I remember when I was in Carolina coaching against him thinking, God, that guy's a beast. Plenty of NFL folks, for better or worse, don't think that version of Wentz is coming back. And the truth is, if it doesn't happen in Washington, there probably won't be another team that'll hand him the keys the way the commanders are now. So there's a lot riding on Wentz's 2022, really for everyone in Washington. But for now, Wentz isn't burdening himself with that. He's in a different place now than he was at the end in Philly or beginning in Indy. I'm 29. I got two kids. I got a wife. My outlook on life looks different. My perspective, the things I value, the things we value as a family, everything's different, he said. I also know who I am now. Not that I didn't then. It's just I've grown up. I've matured. 
I know my interests, I know what I like, and at the same time, I've learned a lot of football so I can adapt and adjust to playbooks easier every single year. It's all different. I'm now one of the older guys in the locker room. Walking in the first day here was like, okay, I'm an old guy now. Things just change. Things look different. Soon enough, we'll get to see if they really are different. For now, at least, Rivera can say it is a little different than you or he might have heard. End quote. There are, to me, three major reasons to be optimistic about Carson Wentz as a commander's quarterback. Uh, Number one, Wentz's opportunity with the commanders certainly seems to be his last chance at being an NFL team's intended starting quarterback going into a season. And so you would think that Wentz wants to make the most of this chance and thus uh, would rectify that which he has done wrong in the past to whatever extent he has done wrong. Uh, Number two, Wentz's supporting cast with the Commanders appears to be better than what his supporting cast with the Colts was. And number three, Wentz, even with his poor play in each of the Colts' final two games last season, still ended up having a pretty good season, just as he had a pretty good season in 2019. Wentz's 2020 season, his final season with the Eagles, was atrocious, but his 2019 and 2021 seasons were pretty good. Wentz finished the 2019 regular season at number 11 among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR. Wentz finished the 2021 regular season at number nine among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in total QBR. You know, Wentz's 2017 season to me is almost irrelevant at this point, okay? 2017 was five years ago. 2017 for Wentz was multiple significant injuries ago. What you want to do when looking at a guy's track record is hone in on his three most recent seasons. Well, two of Wentz's last three seasons have been pretty good. Again, 2019 and 2021. And so if the 2019 Carson Wentz or the 2021 Carson Wentz is who the commanders end up having this coming season, and he has learned some lessons from this leadership slash coachability stuff, and he has matured as he suggested that he has, uh, then yeah, he could end up doing quite well as a commander's quarterback. And for his sake, he needs to do well as a commander's quarterback, and for the commander's sake, Wentz needs to do well as a commander's quarterback. Well, time now to do something that we have not done in a while, and that is talk wizards. I said, talk wizards. The damn Washington Wizards. Yes, Stephen A., the Washington Wizards. Uh, Their 2021-2022 season ended nearly two months ago, April 10th, and yet the NBA's 2021-2022 season still isn't over as we are in the midst of the NBA Finals. Such is life when you do not make the NBA playoffs. Uh, The 2022 NBA draft will take place on June 23rd in Brooklyn, New York. The Wizards have the 10th pick in the 2022 NBA draft, and the Wizards have been conducting a number of pre-draft workouts lately. And so here to talk about what the Wizards are thinking with this year's NBA draft and what the Wizards are thinking with their 2022 offseason, including the Bradley Beal situation, is Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. You can follow Chase on Twitter at Chase Hughes NBCS. Hey, Chase, how are you? Doing good, man. It's good to be back on with you. Hope you're doing well. Uh, I'm doing well. I appreciate you coming back on. So you have covered Wizards drafts for years now. Uh, We know that who the Wizards bring in for these pre-draft workouts isn't always indicative of who the Wizards will end up drafting. Uh, So with the many guys who the Wizards are bringing in, how do you go about trying to figure out what the Wizards might be thinking with what they're going to do in the draft? Yeah, you're right. It's tough sometimes to read the tea leaves based on the pre-draft workouts. Um, They did bring in Troy Brown Jr. actually for two workouts, I believe, that year. Uh, They didn't bring in Rui Hachimura as far as uh, I'm concerned. It may have been a private workout. That's also a factor here. Um, Denny Avdia, it was during COVID. There was no real pre-draft workout. And then Corey Kispert 
last year there was no announced workout, but he actually did do a workout. He came in, I think it was the last week before the draft, and he revealed that even though the Wizards are trying to keep it under wraps. So it's kind of interesting to try to decipher what it all means. Um, you're absolutely right. If they don't work out a guy, it doesn't mean that they're not going to draft him. And if they do work out a guy, it doesn't mean that they like him. I mean, they, they, they might be looking uh, just to sit them down or get them in their own environment or get measurables that weren't taken at the combine. Most of the pre-draft workouts are players that are in play for the second round pick or more likely to be uh, undrafted and be signed for their G League affiliate. Um, but it is interesting just kind of being back in this process after a few years of things obviously being disrupted by COVID where they're bringing in these, these big name players like a Tari Eason or a Johnny Davis, uh, later this week, they'll have Ty Ty Washington and Dyson Daniels guys who, whether the wizards pick them or not, you know, maybe five years from now, you look back, uh, you know, at them in a wizards uniform, essentially, and a practice penny. And they're a star. You know, we've seen that with players before, like Kawhi Leonard. You can go back and look at pictures of him in a Wizards uniform and you think of what if. So it's interesting just to – I watch as much film as I can and I study the numbers, but to actually interact with them is an interesting experience for sure. The Wizards in this 2022 NBA draft have the number 10 pick. Do you get the sense that the Wizards trading up or trading down in the first round of the draft or trading the pick away for a veteran player – is a real possibility or not really? Uh, given those options, I, th I think I'd say not really. I mean, they're going to explore those um, possibilities as they have in recent years. You know, in 2020, they tried to trade up uh, with the Chicago Bulls, who had the fourth pick, actually to get Denny Avdia, who ended up falling to them at ninth. So they definitely explore those scenarios. I, I don't think – I wouldn't expect at this point that they'll trade that pick for veteran help unless it's for something substantial. And the reason I say that is because well, there's a few reasons. One, uh, next year is when their first round picks start to get tied up in protections due to the John Wall, Russell Westbrook trade. So you could trade your first round pick this year. And then if you make the playoffs next year, it's lottery protected. You could be without first round picks for two straight years. And that kind of leads me to the second reason, which is Bradley Beal already makes a lot of money. He's expected to get a substantial raise this offseason. If he does get the Supermax and it's 35% of the salary cap, you have to offset that with smaller contracts and guys with upside, guys in your rotation who can exceed the value that they're being paid. And really the best way to do that is by drafting players in the first round. So th there's a lot of reasons why I think they'd be smart to hold on to that pick. And, and plus it's a, a pretty deep draft, I think. So there's going to be talent on the board. Well, you mentioned him, Bradley Beal. Uh, we cannot talk about the Wizards without talking about the Bradley Beal situation. Uh, he this summer can opt out of his contract. Every indication for a while now has been that he will be opting out of his contract, but also that he will be accepting the Supermax contract extension offer of about $250 million in staying with the Wizards. Is there any reason at this point to doubt that that scenario is what's going to happen this summer? No, I don't think so. I mean, both sides have kind of shown their cards and, and suggested that it's very likely to, you know, end in a contract extension. Now, my question at this point is, will he get the full Supermax? Will it be the five years, $247 million or whatever it is projected to be? Or can they get him down a little bit from that number after what was a down year and as he goes into his age 29 season and will enter his 30s? There's other guys who are up for contract extensions this summer. Nikola Jokic, most notably, back-to-back uh, -back MVP winner. You know, he's going to get what he's going to get. Is Bradley Beal, does he have enough leverage to get that same amount of money? Um, I think it's going to be interesting to watch. I, I wouldn't be all that surprised if he came in a little bit south of that. I think he's going to get a ton of money, but maybe isn't a full Supermax. Although players in this day and age, in particular a player of his caliber, who was all NBA two years ago, and the Wizards haven't had very many guys like that. He certainly got a lot of leverage. So yes, my expectation is he'll resign and it'll be for a lot of money. Yeah, key phrase, a lot of money. And look, more power to Bradley Beal for getting that money. There certainly is a lot to like about Beal, but this mega money contract that he's going to be getting this summer will be the third mega money contract that the Wizards have given Beal. The first was a max contract in July 2016. The second was a max contract in October 2019. 
to the person listening to this right now who can't believe that Bradley Beal, who has never led the Wizards past the second round of the NBA playoffs, uh, who is a mediocre defender and whose three-point shooting has declined significantly over the last few years, is about to get a third mega money contract, if not a third max contract from the Wizards, and this time potentially a $250 million super max contract extension. Uh, You say what? I mean, is this just the nature of the NBA, or is this situation odd even by NBA standards? I think it's partly the nature of the NBA. I think it's also a a situation where it's been several years that have led to this point where the Wizards now face a situation that a lot of people made this argument when Otto Porter was up for a contract. It's like, well, you can let the guy go or you can resign him and you retain the asset and then he's still on your roster. It's not like you let him go. All of a sudden you have that money you can spend on, on somebody else. And he's a good player who doesn't have injury concerns. He doesn't have character or um, chemistry concerns. So I think um, another reason why you would sign him to that deal is because you keep him and then, you know, say two years from now, it's not working out. You could still probably trade him for something, you know, maybe not what you would have gotten two years ago, but you're, you're far enough down the road where you, you kind of have, have you're kind of in a corner in a way where you, you got to resign the guy or else you'll be left with nothing. Now there are sign and trade scenarios. And certainly if Bradley Beal goes out into free agency and, and talks to other teams, that's going to become more of a possibility and something that maybe the wizards could fall back on. But I think it's a matter of them seeing him as um, one of the best players they've had in a a long time, maybe one of the best players in franchise history. And they made their decision essentially a year or two ago by not trading him. That that was all to get to this point to re-sign him. So I I think it's going to continue moving forward. And, you know, maybe it's something, again, that we'll be revisiting two years from now if things aren't working out. And, you know, maybe then when he's age 30, 30 or 31, then he would be traded elsewhere. We're talking with Wizards insider Chase Hughes of NBC Sports Washington. What do you believe that the Wizards' plan at point guard is? I think they want to get a veteran point guard, um, but it's going to be difficult to find in free agency unless it's a bridge-type starter where you draft the guy and you know, you're signing someone only to start for a year. So a lot of this hinges on what happens in the draft because two of the best players that could be available in their range at 10 – are point guards. Uh, Dyson Daniels of G League Ignite and Ty Ty Washington of Kentucky. I think those guys are both really good options, but are both uh, very young, one and done type players. So, you know, maybe they would need a year of seasoning on the bench before they're ready to assume that starting role. So, I, I th- that, that would be my guess at this point. The path that they'll take is draft a point guard and then maybe sign a bridge starter or Uh, maybe go out and trade for a guy, but it really depends again on what happens with the draft, just because that's the sequence of events here. The drafts, you know, June 23rd and then free agencies and trades are July 1st. So um, those, I think the options are going to explore and it's either going to be draft a guy with a bridge starter or uh, trade for someone. A bright spot for the Wizards as their 2021-2022 season went on was the play of Chris Tapps Porzingis. Uh, Once he finally did play for the Wizards, I thought that he looked pretty good. And, you know, you think about a big three, if I may use that phrase, a big three of Bradley Beal, Chris Tapps Porzingis, and Kyle Kuzma. That's not bad. And if you combine those guys with players like Rui Hachimura and Daniel Gafford and Denny Avdia and Corey Kispert... You can see the making of, say, a 45 to, dare I say, 50-win team, especially if the Wizards this offseason get themselves a legitimate starting point guard via the draft. I know that I'm painting quite the rosy picture with this question, but would the Wizards at that point be a contender to make the Eastern Conference Finals? I mean, we know that the franchise has not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979, but could we actually be closer to the Wizards ending that drought than we realize? As currently constituted, I don't think it's 50 wins in conference finals, you know, in a deep Eastern conference, which this past year was the deepest it's been in a long time. I think, you know, you get into that second round, you'd have to knock off a, a Milwaukee or a Boston or a team like that. And, and, you know, f- winning 50 games and going to the conference finals is something this franchise hasn't done since 1979. It's very difficult to do. Um, so I think the ceiling is probably that 45 to 48 
win range. Uh, you know, maybe the fifth seed, maybe the sixth seed, but that's contingent and dependent on what they do this off season. Yeah, the uh, the Eastern Conference finally, seemingly, has gotten its act together after being significantly worse than the Western Conference for like two decades here. Uh, when it comes to what happened with the Wizards in their 2021-2022 season, uh, them going just 25-44 and 44 after the great 10-3 and three start to the regular season, we know what happened. Why did what happened happen? Like, how do you look back upon what happened? What is the Chase Hughes explanation for why this Wizards team completely fell off after such a promising start? I think it was a chemistry experiment that went wrong. Um, they put all these players together. They overhauled half the roster and they handed it all over to a rookie head coach. And what happened was they didn't have defined roles. They weren't as good defensively as we thought they would be. Spencer Dinwiddie and Bradley Beal were a terrible fit together in the backcourt because neither of them shot a high percentage. They were one of the least efficient backcourts in the league. And the roles were never defined to the point where it became a significant problem. And you had a lot of guys... Uh, playing for their NBA futures and playing for their next contracts who, um, you know, will put themselves above the team. And it was, you know, in a lot of cases, like when when a team devolves the way the Wizards did, you have to, you know, report from stuff behind the scenes and you have to kind of read between the lines of what they're saying. These guys all said it to us. I mean, after some of their worst losses, Kyle Kuzma and Contavious Caldwell-Pope and all these guys said that, you know, after that 10-3 and three start, there were a bunch of, players who thought their role should be bigger than they actually were and nothing ever got settled. So I think part of the roster construction issue that they had was it was Bradley Beal. And then the second tier of the roster was like two through seven and there wasn't a whole lot separating them. And it doesn't seem like that should be a problem, but it was, and it was a problem that a rookie head coach couldn't sort through. So I think it was a lesson for the wizards moving forward that maybe they should have more defined roles going into a season. And most importantly, uh, make sure you can shoot better in an era when three-point shooting is extremely important. You're so right about the post-game comments from Wizards players this season. Uh, They did not hold back much when it came uh, to what was going on. Chase Hughes, Wizards insider, NBC Sports Washington. He is terrific. Chase, great to talk to you and all the best to you. Absolutely, man. Thanks for having me. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Wednesday show, episode 331, will feature plenty on the Commanders. We'll also talk Nationals and Orioles. Then that's on Tuesday evening at 6.40. We'll begin a three-game series at the Miami Marlins. The O's on Tuesday night at 7.05. We'll begin a two-game series against the Chicago Cubs at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Tuesday and I'll talk to you on Wednesday. For the fans.